John chapter 12. Would you go there with me together, John chapter 12? I hope you have your copy of God's Word. There are Bibles in, the, in between the hymnals there in the, in the hymnal rack. Uh, open, open with me to John's Gospel in chapter 12 as we go to verse 36 this morning. Follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 36 through verse 43. We, we noted this last time in verse 36 where Jesus is speaking. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And verse 37 says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. And verse 42, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Maybe you thought this as I read. I thought it as I read. This is a hard passage. This is, and what I mean is, this is a hard truth. This is a difficult truth. When you, when you get to some of these truths spoken of here, your, your mind may be challenged. You may be boggled a bit. It may cause you to ask some questions, important questions. But what I want you to see this morning is, is that there are two responses seen here in this passage, which I just read. There are two responses to the gospel. We see two responses to the truths of Jesus Christ, the truths he proclaimed, the truths that we are called to proclaim as followers of Christ, two responses to the witness and the ministry of Christ. Both responses are instructive. Neither response is correct. From the way I see it, I don't think either response is correct. Both responses we ought to pray against seeing in the lives of those we witness to, and both we ought to guard against seeing in our own lives. I want you to look with me at the text again and think about these truths with me. Here's the first response that I see. The first response to the gospel seen here is persistent unbelief. And the results of that follows. You know what it is? You see it right there in the text before us this morning. What follows is a hardening of heart. Persistent unbelief will eventually result in a hardening of heart. Jesus had made it very clear in verse 36, the time to believe is when? 
It's now, right? And you need to hear that today. The time to believe is now. And if you're hearing God's truths today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, you've never put your faith in Him, today, now, don't wait for me to get to the end of the message. Believe in Him now. Confess your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus proclaimed, today is the day, now is the hour. This is so important. You see, the people were there hearing from Jesus in the flesh. Think of it. Here he was preaching and teaching in their midst, and they were seeing miracles. But he would not always be with them, would he? He would not always be there. The time to believe is now. We have here in the text this morning another indicator of the importance of responding in faith to Christ sooner rather than later, right? And we plead with those whom we witness to, believe now, don't wait, stop asking questions, only believe. The simple truth is, the longer you wait, the more you resist the truth of the gospel. The more you persist in unbelief, the harder it will be for you to believe and trust in Christ. It's a sad progression, isn't it? And we can see that when we return to our passage today, and we see here in verses 36 and 37, we see it here in verse in, in verse 37 especially, but go back to verse 36. While you have the light, Jesus says, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. But note this interesting statement in verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and did and, and did not, he, he did not stay any longer. He, he departed, departed and hid himself from them. He departed and hid himself from them. He left, in other words, he left them. He left their presence. He did not remain to teach them any longer. He did not remain to perform miracles in their presence any longer. He, he removed himself from their presence. Why? Why would Jesus do this? Verse 37, right? Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Why the persistent unbelief? Why? Had they not seen everything they needed to see for belief? Had they not? Yes, they had. Verse 37 says, though they had, though he had done so many signs, I mean, they had the miracles, if they didn't believe his words, <laughs> They should have believed the evidence of the miracles. And the evidence of his miracles should have led them to believe in his words and believe in his teaching and put their faith in him. And though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. There were many miracles of Jesus, yes. And what about the authoritative and trustworthy teaching? There was that also. And as we noted last time, as we heard in verse 28... They also had God the Father speaking from heaven, adding his testimony. Yes? Remember when some heard a voice and some said, no, no, it thundered. <laughs> no, no, God spoke. He put his authority on his son Jesus Christ. They had every reason to believe in Jesus. John begins to tell us why they still did not believe in Jesus. It was, as verse 38 says, and this is a hard truth for us sometimes, I think. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. What? They didn't believe so that the prophecy spoken by Isaiah would be fulfilled? How? How is that? And, and what is this? And look at verse 38 again where it says, this, this prophecy, Lord, who has believed 
what he heard from us. That's a question. Lord, who has believed? That's a quote from Isaiah 53.1, there, uh, there in which Isaiah was prophesying about Israel's unbelief, and, and we've seen that unbelief here in John 12. It's a fulfillment of prophecy about Isaiah, uh, um, not Isaiah, Israel's unbelief and, and rejection of Jesus. Unbelief in Christ was, was going to occur, and, it, and we see it occurring in John's gospel. As we read and study John's gospel together, we see this again and again. There are a few here and there who believe, but there are many who, who, who are remaining in their unbelief. So in answer to Isaiah's question, the question, Lord, who, who has believed what he heard from us? In answer, the answer is few. Few have believed. And that was what Isaiah was prophesying. There would be few. There would be few, even though the arm of the Lord has been clearly revealed to them. Now, how has the arm of the Lord been revealed to them? We've seen it again and again, right? Even though we go back and we think of what, what John is saying here, and though, though he had done so many signs before them, right? The arm of the Lord has been revealed to them in the miracles of Christ. The arm of the Lord has been revealed to them in, in the authority given to Christ by God the Father. Remember the voice from heaven? The arm of the Lord has been revealed to them in the words of Christ, the teaching of Christ. And though the arm of the Lord has been revealed to them, they still persist in unbelief. Many had received, they had seen the witness and heard the witness of Christ, yet, yet few had believed. That is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. So what was it? that was absent that these people wouldn't believe, even, even with such powerful evidence. John tells us, again, quoting the prophet Isaiah, verse 39, therefore they could not believe. Did you hear that? And this is, this is one of those areas where we get to the text and we say, this is hard. What, what do you mean they couldn't believe? Therefore they could not believe. So John says they could not believe, and he, then he goes on to explain, for again Isaiah said, verse 39, and then in verse 40, he quotes Isaiah, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now be careful here, okay? And here's what I say. Lest, lest we think God is just being a bully. All right? Lest we think that God is just being mean here by not letting them believe, let's understand that what's happening here is that they, and I know this is going to sound confusing, but they did not believe, so they could not believe. I told you it was going to sound confusing. It sounds confusing to me. They did not believe, so they could not believe. Well, what do I mean? What do I mean by that? Well, I, I mean the same thing that God's Word means when it says that God hardens the hearts of those who persist in sin. It's a warning. It's a warning not to harden your heart. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 12, we have an example of this. We see it many times in the Old Testament, but Exodus 9.12 is one example where it says, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he did not listen to them, that is the Israelites, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Listen to this quote about this passage from John MacArthur. He writes, It is a sobering reality 
that those who persistently harden their hearts against God find themselves hardened by God. The historical record of God's dealings with Pharaoh illustrates that principle, noting ten times that he hardened his own heart, Pharaoh did, and ten times that God hardened his heart. Isaiah, in one of the clearest evangelistic texts in the Old Testament, cried out, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God hardened the hearts of those who refused to believe in Jesus. We see it in verse 40. So that they could not believe. We see it in verse 39. You see, they did not believe. They did not believe. They persisted in unbelief. They persisted in rebellion against God. They persisted in sin. So God says, fine, that's the way you want it. I'm going to harden your heart. And you won't be able to believe. And we see the same thing in Romans chapter 1 and verse 24. Listen, this is not an isolated passage here we have in John's Gospel in chapter 12. Listen to Romans chapter 1 and verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And then in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, in other words, to put their faith in Him and believe in Him as God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 in verses 8 through 12, Paul writes, And then the, the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Do you hear it? They refused. Therefore, this is a sobering truth here. And God's word reminds us of this again and again. They refused to love the truth. Therefore, verse 11 in 2 Thessalonians 2, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God's word is clear, isn't it? You see, those who persist in sin reject God and reject His goodness offered up freely to all who will put their trust in Jesus Christ through the Son, Jesus Christ. Those who persist in sin reject the Son. They persist in unbelief. They persist in disobedience. And the more they do, the more they risk being turned over by God to the hardening of their own hearts. And that is just what we see going on here in our text today when it says that Jesus departed and hid himself from them. He will not contend with those who persist in unbelief. He will not give them forever. So we might ask, so 
So is all lost here? Has Jesus failed? Is, is Jesus a failure at evangelism? Can he not win souls? We dare not think that, right? Is all lost here? Has Jesus wasted his time? Think about it. It would look on the surface as if Jesus has just been wasting his time and he's just failed to bring people to faith. But that is not the case. Has he wasted his time? No. Think of this. Think of this. Even in the rejection of God's Son, even in the rejection of the Holy One, Jesus Christ, is the glory of God seen. Do you realize that? That might be hard for us to fathom. It's hard for me to grasp, grasp even in my, my mind sometimes, even though I've been thinking about this most of the week. It's, it's hard for us to grasp but, that even in the rejection of, of God's one and only Son, there is glory for God. And here's what I mean. In fact, that's what John sees in this prophecy fulfilled. Think of it. There's prophecy fulfilled here. What does prophecy do? It prophesies of Christ. It prophesies of the Holy One. It tells of Jesus. What does prophecy fulfilled do? It points to the authority of the one God sent. Isaiah sees the glory of Christ. So in verse 41 says, in verse 41 it says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Wait a minute. Isaiah saw Christ? I think that's what's saying, I think that's what's going on here. But how did Isaiah see the glory of Christ? Isaiah saw the glory of Christ. I think that's what the Old Testament passage points to. And I'm encouraged to hear uh, this from Henry Morris, one commentator, who says, To John, it is plain that Isaiah had in mind the glory revealed in Christ. Again, we have a complex idea of glory. It points at once to the supreme greatness of Christ and the cross as the supreme illustration of his greatness. You hear that? Christ and the cross as the supreme illustration of the greatness of God and the greatness of Jesus Christ. He says, Morris says, here it includes the thought of his rejection. For that too is part of his real glory. He being what he is, God in human flesh, right? He being what he is, stooped to a position where man might and did reject him. Only as we see this can we see what his glory implies. Now, if you think of it, God the Father sends God the Son knowing that it's very possible and knowing that it would happen, that He would be rejected. The sacrifice of His Son, shedding His blood on Calvary, rejected by sinners. So God's glory is even seen in Christ being rejected. The Son of God being rejected by mankind. And as it is a prophecy fulfilled, it too glorifies Christ. It glorifies the Son. And this rejection of the Son is used by God, I think, it's used by God to point the lost to the only way to the forgiveness of sins. Look at those who have gone before you and gone out into an eternity without being forgiven their sins, lost for all eternity, 
because they rejected Jesus Christ. Do not do the same. You see, it's a warning here that persistent unbelief will result in a hardening of heart and a lack of ability to believe. And that has a sobering effect on us, doesn't it? Let people who see those who are hardened, and as we share the gospel with unbelievers and we point them to Christ, let people who see those who are so hardened by unbelief that they cannot believe be warned to believe in Christ before it is too late for them. You see, there might be those those you are pointing to Christ with the witness of the gospel and you're trying to be faithful to live Christ out in, in your own life so that they see Him clearly as you, as you obey the Word, as you share the Word. And sometimes you may not have the opportunity to share the Word as much as you have to live the truth of the Gospel in front of them so that they see the daily witness of Christ as you obey. And then they have other friends who cry out against God, who curse God, who say, they'll never believe, I'd rather go party in hell with my friends. And they look, and they see you, and they see their friends, and they say, I'm not sure why. I mean, they don't get it. Why should I get it? It's a powerful illustration. The persistent unbelief will lead to the hardening of heart and the inability to believe. And lest it be too late, we plead with those Dear ones of ours we witness to, whether it be in the workplace or in our own families or in our own neighborhood, only believe. Stop looking at everybody else. Look to Christ and believe in Him now. Today is the day. That's the first response to the gospel scene here. It's persistent unbelief, and the outcome that follows is the hardening of heart. And we ought to pray against it in those we witness to, and we ought to guard against it in our own lives. The second response to the gospel and the witness of the ministry of Christ appears to be belief. As we look at the text, it appears to be belief. But it doesn't appear to be genuine faith. And I say that because I think it's incomplete faith. And and the evidence of this is seen in the fact that the the, piece, the people spoken of here, the persons spoken of here, these are authorities who, who are mixed in with the other authorities who, who are just fixed in their unbelief. Some of them, I'm sure, of this, this text is writing of them, speaking of them being hardened in heart. But there were others who it would appear on the surface that they believe. They too are authorities. Verse 42 says, Nevertheless, Many, even of the authorities, believed in him. And we would say, praise God, but but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And when I read that, at first it's it's... It's encouraging. You think, oh great, there are some, even the authorities who believe. And, and, and what this tells us is that they saw the evidence and they were inclined to say, yeah, I, I, I do believe that that is the Messiah. The evidence points to it. We can't argue with the truth of the evidence. 
And we've been baffled by that, haven't we? As we've looked at John's Gospels, how can these people not believe when they see the evidence in front of them time and time again? But I believe what they have is incomplete faith, and the evidence of this is seen in this fact that those spoken of here are more content with the praise of men than with the praise of God. They'd rather have the honor of men than the honor of God. They'd rather have what men can give than what God gives. And that is sad. And if we're not careful, even as believers, we can find ourselves living that way. That we, that we cringe to tell others that we're followers of Christ because we know we may find ourselves ridiculed. So there were those, even among the authorities, who were so moved by the plain evidence that they, that they said, you know, I, that is the Messiah. I believe that that's the Messiah. But for fear of man, they didn't tell anyone. They kept it a secret. And they were too afraid of being punished for telling of their belief in who Jesus is. Why? John tells us in verse 43, look at it. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's why I don't think they really got it. That's why I don't think this is true faith. They believed in who Jesus was. They saw the signs and they said, this has got to be the Messiah. But they were lacking in their faith because they were still hung up on what man could do to them instead of trusting in what God would do for them if they believed. So I don't think this is genuine faith that, that prefers what God can do over what man might do. Now, there may have been some numbered among these. There may have been some of these who later came to faith in Christ, it's possible that they were seeing the evidence and they were afraid to confess Christ, and so they kept it to themselves. It may be possible that later they trusted in Christ. We don't have evidence of that, but, but not in this text here, but it's possible. And we would pray for those that we witness to and share the love of Christ with and telling them about our Savior, that they too, the, though they seem to understand and though they seem to say, yes, you know, I think I, I believe what you're saying, but I'm not... Sure, that they would not be afraid of man. That they would not be afraid to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, these people should have fully trusted in Christ, and so must we to be saved. Listen, if you're not a believer today, if you've never repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, you need to put your full hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what He requires of you. Nothing more, nothing less. You see, there had been plenty of truth Jesus had taught to help them see this. And in the closing passage of chapter 12, I didn't read it this morning, but I want to read it now. Look at verses 44 and following. In these closing verses of chapter 12, there is a summary of the teaching of Jesus during his earthly ministry, and this is what true faith will acknowledge. You see, John is pointing to all the public teachings of Christ, and they had all the truth that they needed for faith in Christ. You see, they had heard these things, 
And they had seen the miracles. And John points to these truths beginning in verse 44. Look at them with me, will you? Verse 44 to the end of the chapter. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. And verse 49, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. And what I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. Now, we're going to take a closer look at those verses tonight, but they do point to the answer, I think, to persistent unbelief and belief that's incomplete. These are the fundamental teachings of Christ as he ministered here on earth in these final verses of chapter 12. Jesus had come as a light to the world so that whoever believes in Jesus may not remain in darkness. Whoever believes may not remain in darkness. Jesus had come as that light to lead them out of the darkness of sin and rebellion against God to life eternal and forgiveness of sins. And those seen in our passage had all they needed to act on in faith, but sadly, many didn't believe. You see, the path from darkness to light is this. It's a wholehearted faith in God through Jesus Christ the Son. It's a wholehearted faith in God through Jesus Christ the Son. Belief in the Son. Faith in God through the Son who's, who's accomplished the forgiveness of your sins if you will merely confess your sin and believe in Him today. You see, it's faith in God from the heart fully yielded to God in His will. J.C. Ryle puts it like this when he writes, Faith is the only cure for soul ailments like this. A believing view of an unseen God, an unseen Christ, an unseen heaven, and an unseen judgment day, this is the grand secret of overcoming the fear of man. Let us pray for faith. If we would conquer that deadly enemy of souls, the fear of man and the love of man's praise, and if we have any faith, let us pray for more Let our daily cry be, Lord, increase my faith. We may easily have too much money or too much worldly prosperity, but we can never have too much faith. And as 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Unbeliever today, you have before you all you need to know for faith in Christ alone, for salvation, for eternal life, for forgiveness of sins. You have before you today all you need to know. Will you believe in him today? Will you put your trust in Christ today? Believer, 
is your daily request of God more faith, Lord? More faith! Sometimes we realize we need it more than we, we, we do other days, right? But this ought to be a daily request of God. God, give me more faith. Increase my faith. Like the man who cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. More faith, Lord. Increase my faith. Is that your prayer? I hope it is. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray and we ask today that to those who have not identified with Christ, who have not confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, who have not repented of sin and believed in Jesus Christ, to those who have no faith, God, I pray that you would give them faith. Faith to believe in your one and only Son. And Father, I pray to those who have faith, Lord, increase it. Increase it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.